Chapter 8, Part 1 of The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Turner. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter 8, Part 1. Carniades! Who was he? thought Don Abandio to himself as he sat in his armchair in a room upstairs with a small volume laying open before him just as Perpetua entered the, to bring him the message. Carniades, I seem to have heard or read his name. It must be some man of learning, some scholar of antiquity. It is just like one of their names. But whoever was he? So far was the poor man from foreseeing the storm that was gathering over his head. The reader must know that Don Abandio was very fond of reading a little every day, and a neighboring curate, who possessed something of a library, lent him one book after another, always taking the first that came to hand. The work with which Don Abandio was now engaged, being already convalescent, after his fever and fears, and more advanced in his recovery from the fever than he wished should be believed, was a panegyric in honor of San Carlo, which had been delivered with much earnestness and listened to with great admiration in the Cathedral of Milan, Two years before, the saint had been compared, on account of his love of study, to Archimedes, and so far Don Abandio had met with no stumbling block, because Archimedes has executed such great works, and has rendered his name so famous, that it required no very fast fund of erudition to know something about him. But after Archimedes, the orator also compares his saint to Carniades, and here the reader met with a check. At this point, Perpetua announced the visit of Tonio. At this hour, exclaimed Ton Abandio, also, naturally enough. What would you have, sir? They have no consideration indeed, but if you don't take him when you can get him. If I don't take him now, who knows when I can? Let him come in. Hey, hey, Perpetua, are you quite sure it is Tonio? Diavolo, replied Perpetua, and going downstairs, she opened the door and said, Where are you? Tonio advanced, and at the same moment Agnes showed herself, and saluted Perpetua by name. "'Good evening, Agnes,' said Perpetua. "'Where are you coming from at this hour?' "'I am uh, coming from,' mentioning a neighboring village. "'And if you knew,' continued she, "'I've been kept late just for your sake.' "'What for?' asked Perpetua, and turning to the two brothers. "'Go in,' said she, "'and I'll follow.' "'Because,' replied Agnes, a gossiping woman who knows nothing about the manor, would you believe it, persists in saying that you were not married to Beppo Solovecchia nor to Anselmo Lugrina, because they wouldn't have you. I maintain that you refuse both one and the other. To be sure. Oh, what a false-tongued woman. Who is she? Don't ask me. I don't want to make a mischief. You tell me. You must tell me. I say she's a false body. Well, well, but you cannot think how vexed I was that I didn't know the whole story, that I might have put her down. It is an abominable falsehood, said Perpetua, and most infamous falsehood. As to Beppo, everybody knows and might have seen. Hey, Tonio, just close the door and go upstairs till I come. Tonio assented from within, and Perpetua continued her eager relation. In front of Don Abandio's door, a narrow street ran between two cottages, but only continued the straight the length of the buildings, and then turned into the fields. 
Agnes went forward along this street, as if she would go a little aside to speak more freely, and Perpetua followed, when they had turned the corner, and reached a spot whence they could no longer see what happened before Adanabandio's house, Agnes coughed loudly. This was a signal. Renzo heard it, and reanimating Lucia by pressing her arm, they turned the corner, together on tiptoe, crept very close along the wall, reached the door, and gently pushed it open, quiet, and stooping low, they were quickly in the passage, and here the two brothers were waiting for them. Renzo very gently let down the latch of the door, and they all four ascended the stairs, making scarcely noise enough for two. On reaching the landing, the two brothers advanced towards the door of the room at the side of the staircase, and the lovers stood close against the wall. Dio gracias, said Tonio, in an explanatory tone. Eh, Tonio, is it you? Come in, replied a voice within. Tonio opened the door, scarcely wide enough to admit himself and his brother one at a time. The ray of light that suddenly shone through the opening and crossed the dark floor of the landing made Lucia tremble, as if she were discovered. When the brothers had entered, Tonio closed the door inside. The lovers stood motionless in the dark, their ears intently on the alert, and holding their breath, the loudest noise was the beating of poor Lucia's heart. Donabandio was seated, as we have said, in an old armchair enveloped in an antiquated dressing gown, and his head buried in a shabby cap, the shape of a tiara, which, by the faint light of a small lamp, formed a sort of cornice all around his face. Two thick locks, which escaped from beneath his headdress, two thick eyebrows, two thick mustachios, and a thick tuft on the chin, all of them gray, and scattered over his dark and wrinkled visage, might be compared to bushes covered with snow, projecting from the face of a cliff, as seen by moonlight. Aha! was his salutation, as he took off his spectacles and laid them on his book. The Signor Curate will say I am come very late said Tonio, with a low bow, which Gervasi awkwardly imitated. Certainly it is late, late every way. Don't you know I am ill? I am very sorry for it. You must have heard I was ill, and didn't know when I should be able to see anybody. But why have you brought this, this boy with you? For company, Signor Gerate. Very well, uh, let us see. Here are twenty-five new Berlingi, with the figure of St. Ambrose on horseback, said Tonio, drawing a little parcel out of his pocket. Let us see, said Donabandio, and he took the parcel, put on his spectacles again, opened it, took out the berlingi, turned them over and over, counted them, and found them irreprehensible. Now, Signor Curate, you will give me Tecla's necklace? You are right, replied Donabandio, going to the cupboard. He took out a key, looking around as if to see that all prying spectators were at a proper distance, opened one of the doors, and filling up the aperture with his person, introduced his head to see, and his arm to reach the pledge. Then drawing it out, he shut the cupboard, unwrapped the paper, and saying, Is that right? folded it up again, and handed it to Tonio. Now, said Tonio, will you please put it in black and white? Not satisfied yet, said Donabandio. I declare they know everything. Eh, how suspicious the world has become. Don't you trust me? What, Signor Curate, don't I trust you? 
you do me wrong, but as my name is in your black books on the debtor's side, then since you have had had the trouble of writing once, so from life to death, well, well, interrupted Donapandio, muttering between his teeth. He drew out one of the table drawers, took thence pen, ink, and paper, and began to write, repeating the words aloud as they proceeded from his pen. In the meantime, Tonio, and at his side, Gervasi placed himself standing before the table in such a manner as to conceal the door from view of the writer, and began to shuffle their feet about the floor, as if in mere idleness, but in reality as a signal to those without to enter, and at the same time to drown out the noise of their footsteps. Donabandio, intent on his writing, noticed nothing else. At the noise of their feet, Renzo took Lucia's arm, pressing it in an encouraging manner, and went forward, almost dragging her along, for she trembled to such a degree that without his help she must have sunk to the ground. Entering very slothfully, on tiptoe, holding their breath, they placed themselves behind the two brothers. In the meantime, Don Abandio, having finished writing, read over the paper attentively, without raising his eyes. That he then folded it up, saying, Are you content now? and taking off his spectacles with one hand, handed the paper to Tonio with the other, and looked up. Tonio, extending his right hand to receive it, retired on one side, and Gervasi added a sign from him on the other. And behold, as at the shifting of a scene, Renzo and Lucia stood between them. Donabandio saw indistinctly, saw clearly, was terrified, astonished, enraged, buried in thought, came to a resolution, and all this... Well, Renzo uttered the words, Signor Curate, in the presence of these witnesses, this is my wife. Before, however, Lucia's lips could form the reply, Donabandio dropped the receipt, seized the lamp with his left hand, raised it in the air, caught hold of the cloth with his right, and dragged it furiously off the table, bringing it to the ground in its fall, book, paper, inkstand, and sandbox, and springing between the chair and the table, advanced towards Lucia. The poor girl, with her sweet, gentle voice, trembling violently, had scarcely uttered the words, And this, when Donabandio threw the cloth rudely over her head and face, to prevent her pronouncing the entire formula. Then, letting the light fall from his other hand, he employed both to wrap the cloth around her face, till she was well-nigh smothered, shouting in the meanwhile at the stretch of his voice like a wounded bull perpetua perpetua treachery help the light just glimmering on the ground threw a dim and flickering ray upon lucia who in utter consternation made no attempt to disengage herself and might be compared to a statue sculpted in chalk over which the artificer has thrown a wet cloth when the light died away Danabandio quitted the poor girl, and went groping about to find the door that opened into an inner room, and having reached it, he entered and shut himself in, unceasingly exclaiming, Perpetua, treachery, help, out of the house, out of the house! In the other room all was confusion, Renzo seeking to lay hold of the curate, and feeling with his hands as if playing at blind man's bluff, had reached the door, and kicking against it was crying, open open don't make such a noise lucia calling to renzo in a feeble voice said beseechingly let us go let us go for god's sake tonio was crawling on his knees and feeling with his hands on the ground to recover his lost receipt 
The terrified Gervasi was crying and jumping about, and seeking for the door of the stairs so as to make his escape in safety. In the midst of this uproar, we cannot but stop a moment to make a reflection. Renzo, who was causing disturbance at night in another person's house, who had effected an entrance by stealth, and who had blockaded the master himself in one of his own rooms, has all the appearance of an oppressor. Well, in fact, he was the oppressed. Donabandio, taken by surprise, terrified, and put to flight, while peaceably engaged in his own affairs, appears the victim, when in reality it was he who did the wrong. Thus frequently goes the world. Or, rather, we should say, thus it went in the seventeenth century. The besieged, finding that the enemy gave no signs of abandoning the enterprise, opened a window that looked out into the churchyard and shouted, Help! Help! There was a most lovely moon, the shadow of the church, and a little beyond, the long, sharp shadow of the bell-tower lay dark, still, and well-defined on the bright, grassy level of the sacred enclosure. All objects were visible, almost as by day. But look which way you would, there appeared no sign of a living person. Adjoining the lateral wall of the church, on the side next the parsonage, was a small dwelling where the sexton slept. Aroused by this unusual cry, he sprang up in his bed, jumped out in great haste, threw open the sash of his little window, put his head out with his eyelids glued together all the while, and cried out, "'What's the matter?' "'Run, Ambrosio! Help! People in the house!' entered Donabandio. "'Coming directly,' replied he. And he drew his head in and shut the window, and although half asleep and more than half terrified, an expedient quickly occurred to him that would bring more aid than had been asked, without dragging him into the affray, whatever it might be. Seizing his breeches that lay upon the bed, he tucked them under his arm like a gala hat, and bounding downstairs by a little wooden ladder, ran to the belfry, caught hold of the rope that was attached to the larger of the two bells, and pulled vigorously. Tan, 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 tan! The peasant sprang up in his bed. The boy, stretched in the hayloft, listened eagerly, and leapt upon his feet. "'What's the matter? What's the matter? The bells ringing! Fire? Thieves? Bandati?' Many of the women advised, begged their husbands not to stir, to let others run. Some got up and went to the window. Those who were cowards, as if yielding to entreaty, quietly slipped under the bedclothes again, while the more inquisitive and courageous sprang up and armed themselves with pitchforks and pistols to run to the uproar. Others waited to see the end. But before these were all ready, and even before they were all well awake, the noise reached the ears and arrested the attention of some others not very far distant, who were both dressed and on their feet, the bravos in one place, Agnes and Perpetua in another. We will first briefly relate the moments of the bravos since we left them, some in the old building and some at the inn the three at the inn as soon as they saw all the doors shut and the street deserted went out pretending to be going some distance but they only quietly took a short turn in the village to be assured that all had retired to rest and in fact they met not one living creature nor heard the least voice they also passed still more softly before lucia's little cottage which was the quietest of all since there was no one within. Then they went direct to the old house, and reported their observations to Signor Griso. 
hastily putting on a slouched hat with a pilgrim's dress of sackcloth scattered over with cockle shells and taking in his hand a pilgrim's staff he said now let us act like good bravos quiet and attentive to orders so saying he moved forward followed by the rest and in a few moments reached the cottage by the opposite way to the one our little party had taken when setting out on their expedition griso ordered his followers to remain a few paces behind while he went forward alone to explore and finding all outside deserted and still he beckoned to two of them to advance ordered them quickly to scale the wall that surrounded the courtyard and when they had descended to conceal themselves in a corner behind a thick fig tree that he had noticed in the morning this done he knocked gently at the door with the intention of saying that he was a pilgrim who had lost his way and begged for a lodging the night no one replied he knocked a little more loudly not a whisper therefore he called a third bravo and made him descent into the yard as the other two had done with orders to unfasten the bolt inside very carefully so that he might have free ingress and egress all was executed with the greatest caution and the most prosperous success he then went to call the rest and bidding them enter with them he sent them to hide in the corner with the others closed the door again very softly placed two sentinels inside and went up to the door of the house here also he knocked waited and long enough he might wait he then as gently as possible opened the door and nobody within said who's there no one was to be heard nothing could be better forward then come on he cried to those behind the fig tree and he entered with them into that very room where in the morning he had so basely obtained a piece of bread drawing from his pocket a piece of steel a flint some tinder and a few matches he lit a small lantern he had provided and stepped into the next room to assure himself that all was quiet not one was there he returned went to the foot of the stairs looked up listened all was solitude and silence leaving two more sentinels in the lower room he bid grignapoco follow him a bravo from the district of bergamo whose office it was to threaten appease and command to be in short the spokesman so that his dialect might give agnes the idea that the expedition came from his neighbourhood with his companion at his side and the rest behind him griso very slowly ascended the stairs cursing in his heart every step that unluckily creaked every tread of these villains that made the least noise at last he reaches the top here is the danger he gently pushes the door that leads into the first room it yields to his touch he opens it a little and looks in all is dark he listens attentively perchance he may hear a snoring a breath a stirring within nothing forward then he puts the lantern before his face so as to see without being seen he opens the door wide perceives a bed looks upon it the bed is made and smooth with clothes turned down and arranged upon the pillow he shrugs his shoulders turns to his companions beckons them that he is going to look in the other room and that they must keep quiet where they were he goes forward uses the same precautions meets with the same success whatever can this mean he exclaimed boldly some traitorous dog must have been acting as a spy 
they began to look about them with less caution and pry into every corner, turning the house upside down. While the party upstairs were thus engaged, the two men who were on guard at the street door heard hasty and repeated footsteps approaching along the road that led into the village, and imagining that whoever it was he would pass by, they kept quiet, their ears, however, attentively on the watch. But behold, the footsteps stopped exactly at the door. It was Minicho, arriving in great haste, sent by Father Cristoforo, to bid the two women for heaven's sake to make their escape as quickly as possible from their cottage and take refuge in the convent because the because the reader knows he took hold of the handle of the latch and felt it shake in his hand unfastened and broken open what is this thought he and he pushed open the door in some alarm and putting one foot inside with considerable suspicion he felt himself seized by, in a moment by both arms and he heard two smothered voices on his right and left saying to him in a threatening voice hush hold your tongue or you die on the contrary however he uttered a shrill cry upon which one of them struck him a great blow on the mouth and the other took hold of a large knife to terrify him the poor child trembled like a leaf and did not attempt a second cry but all at once in his stead and with a far different tone burst forth the first sound of a bell before described, and immediately after many thundering peals in quick succession. If the cap fits, put it on, says a Milanese proverb. Each of the villains seemed to hear in these peals his name, surname, and nickname. They let go of Menicho's arms, hastily dropped their own, gazed at each other's faces in mute astonishment, and then ran into the house where was the bulk of their companions. Menicho took to his legs and fled by way of the fields towards the belfry, where he felt sure there would be some people assembled. On the other ruffians, who were rummaging the house from top to bottom, the terrible bell made the same impression. Confused and alarmed, they ran against one another in attempting, each one for himself, to find the shortest way of reaching the street door though men of approved courage and accustomed never to turn their backs on known peril they could not stand against an indefinite danger which had not been viewed at a little distance before coming upon them it required all the authority of griso to keep them together so that it might be a retreat and not a flight just as a dog dirging a drove of pigs runs here and there after those that break the ranks, seizes one by the ears and drags him into the herd, propels another with his nose, barks at a third that leaves the line at the same moment. So the pilgrim laid hold of one of his troop just passing the threshold and drew back, detained with his staff. Some of those who were flying they knew not whither, and finally succeeded in assembling them all in the middle of the courtyard. Halt! Halt! pistols in hand daggers in their readiness all together and then we'll be gone we must march in order what care we for the bells ringing if we are all together you cowards but if we let them catch us one by one even the villagers will give us it for shame fall behind and keep together after this brief harangue he placed himself in the front and led the way out the cottage as we have said was at the extremity of the village griso took the road that led out of it and the rest followed him in good order. End of chapter 8, part 1
Recording by Peter Turner, Footville, Wisconsin. <laughs>